there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of Time for Coffee. If you're interested in data and analytics and in learning more about the insurance industry, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is the chief data and analytics officer at employers and has worked for some of the world's leading insurance companies. But before I introduce you to Tom Warden, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you a sneak peek inside the episodes and the professionals we're going to be featuring each day that week. And it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org. And the sign up box is right there. Now, my friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Tom Warden, Senior Vice President and Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Employers, which has been providing American small businesses with cost-effective workers' compensation insurance for over a century. Prior to joining employers in 2017, Tom worked at two other insurance behemoths, the American International Group, also known as AIG, where he headed up global consumer data integration, and at Allstate Insurance, where he spent 25 years and, among many things, created the first data mining team where early forms of machine learning and artificial intelligence were used to mine extremely large data sets. Tom, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I'm partially caffeinated, but I'm getting there. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Why Hmm. just partially? Well, it's seven o'clock here in Reno, so my first cup is on my desk. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. And what do you like to brew there in Reno? Pete's mostly. Yeah, that's pretty good. It's a kind of tried and true way to go in the morning, for sure. So, Tom, we are going to dive right into our 10 espresso shots. These are the 10 questions to help our young listeners learn how to break into your industry, which we are going to describe as the data analytics industry as it applies to the insurance realm. Does that work for you? Sure. That's great. Okay. First espresso shot. What entry-level jobs are available to young people who want to get into the insurance industry through the data analytics pathway? Well, I think the internships are always a great place to start. They're uh, maybe fewer and far between than they used to be when I was growing up, but we still offer them to certain students at the University of Nevada. So I think if you're still in school, I think a great way to start is to work during the summer or anytime, really, during at places that are doing data and analytics and get a taste for what it's like, maybe in a couple of different industries during your career in school. I think once you've graduated, I think the, the primary thing that is the, I think, the differentiator for, for looking at younger 
people in terms of their resumes is just experience with uh, data engineering. I mean, being able to manage and handle and manipulate uh, very large uh, data sets, I think, is the the primary, the foundational characteristic that I look for, especially in younger students. I think, you know, graduating from that to working more on developing data products, I mean, in the form of analytics like dashboards and things like that, or in, in predictive modeling and data science, you know, being able to build machine learning models or advanced regression models, things like that. Anything that's, that sort of progresses beyond data engineering, I think, is are all good entry-level jobs to try and look for. Most jobs in this industry kind of combine all three of those facets in, in one. And especially as a newer employee, a younger employee will be asked to do all kinds of different things. And that's a great, it's actually a great opportunity to learn a lot of different things. We tend to ask our newer employees to, to work on a variety of projects and skill sets. And really, I think it's to their benefit. Okay, great. You mentioned skill sets. So what is a useful skill or skills? And if I can put it in both the hard skill and the soft skill bucket that you look for, Tom, in the young people that you've hired over the years? I think obviously first in my field, technical skills are are sort of a minimum requirement at some level, at least. I look for people who have you know, been able to apply technical skills, whether it's, you know, developing code or building models or just, like I said earlier, data engineering, but being able to demonstrate that they can do that in a practical, real world environment. That's even more beneficial. I'm uh, looking for people that can work in a business setting rather than more of an academic setting. So that's sort of the prerequisite. I think beyond the technical skills, and really, you know, they can be really any type of technical skill. It's really because there'll be so much learning on the job that's done. It doesn't really necessarily matter, you know, what specific skill set there. But on the softer side, I'd say inquisitiveness, questioning, being able to critically think. That's a, a phrase that gets used a lot today. And I think it's very apt. I mean, it's a, a skill set that it's difficult to teach, but one that uh, can be demonstrated by young people in the questions that they ask and the, the way that they look at problem solving. I think beyond inquisitiveness, listening is the, uh, the next skill I look for, appreciating what others are saying. Again, especially for younger people that are entering into new fields, they do know a lot because they they learn a lot in school. But at the same time, they many times don't know what they don't know when they come into a, a business setting or something like that, a new setting of any type. So I think listening to what others have to say before speaking too often is a skill that is, is underappreciated. So I, I really look for sort of a two-way dialogue with a person, someone who's asking good questions, but at the same time, listening for insights from others that can help them learn more about what what the task at hand is. I'd say the final thing is openness, transparency, humility, I think is a big factor. Young people, I think, tend to sometimes can be sometimes a little overconfident in what they know. You, you don't want to be underconfident, so to speak, but you, you certainly want to display a sense of humility and openness and being honest with folks because you're going to be working in teams. I mean, in teams of peers or teams of people that have been there a few years or, or longer. And the first thing you want them to be able to do is trust you. So establishing that trust relationship is very key in joining a new team. And I think that's a great way to demonstrate that you're willing to be a part of the team is to be humble and, and open with others. Yeah, for sure. What about life experiences, Tom? So these are the kinds of experiences that we have outside the classroom. What, in your opinion, are the most useful ones for someone to have who's starting out in the field of data and analytics? 
You know, I think that building life, building friendships across boundaries is a key one. I was thinking back on sort of my early days. And, you know, one of the things I'm proud of is the fact that I had friends from different circles in life and I didn't have a very narrow focus of people that I hung around with or did things with. I think that demonstrates, you know, some of the characteristics I was mentioning earlier, an openness to meet other people and share other experiences and see things from different perspectives. I think it also demonstrates, you know, your your ability to get along with a wide range of people. And again, in the work environment, not everybody is going to look and act and be like you. Uh, so being able to you know, reach across whatever boundaries might be there on your team and make friends and establish strong working relationships with those folks is, is really key. That's one thing I really think is important. I think the next thing is really building trust and respect amongst uh, older people. I don't, I don't mean old, old people. I just mean people that are above you in the, in the hierarchy, so to speak, or in the experience uh, realm, or even if you're doing similar work, you know, people that have been there a long time. I think that's something that I was able to do early on in my life is be comfortable around more senior people and earn the respect and trust to some degree. And I think that to me is really a characteristic I look for in some of my younger employees. I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that they're able to interact with me as a peer on many regards and and then, but at the same time, treat me with a little bit of respect because, you know, I am the, the leader in all of that. So I think that's a, a characteristic that differentiates, especially amongst young people, people that have, I think, more upward potential than, than others is, oh, yeah. is really the ability to, to navigate up the ladder, so to speak. Absolutely. And what I love about those examples, Tom, is that you can do that anywhere. You can expand your network in any setting. It doesn't matter where you live. And in terms of respect and being humble and learning to listen to people who have more experience than you do, these are things that you can practice right now. Exactly. I think that, I mean, think about LinkedIn. I mean, everyone in the world's got a LinkedIn profile these days and, you know, it gives you the ability to publish your thoughts and share your perspectives and your ideas with others. And if you can communicate those ideas and thoughts in, in a meaningful, professional, mature manner, those who read what you've posted can be very impressed without even having met you face to face. So I think that there's all kinds of opportunities for networking beyond just, you know, meeting people. It's really being able to share your ideas and impress upon them the maturity of your thought. I think that's a, a key aspect of the social media that is available to folks today that you, know, you have to be careful what you say and what you publish. You want to think twice before you push <laughs> hit send. But, <laughs> but at the same time, it's a great opportunity. Definitely. What about someone's major? Is it a deciding factor to get into your profession? In other words, Tom, if they haven't studied accounting, if they haven't studied finance, as you have, is it a deal breaker? No, I don't think so anymore. I think that so much of what happens in my profession can be self-taught these days. I mean, there's thousands of Coursera and other online courses around data engineering, data mining, machine learning, AI, you know, you name it. And, and many, many young folks and even some older folks I know take advantage of those avenues and, and really train themselves in many ways. So I don't think there's really anything that's a deal breaker. I mean, you know, if somebody has an English major and they want to apply to work as a sort of a starting level position in my in my area. If there aren't any other skills that are demonstrated there, then yeah, that's maybe a little challenging. But I don't really look at majors these days as, as deal breakers, much like when I look at senior, more senior data science positions anymore. I don't look at not having a PhD as a deal breaker either. It's really, uh, it's not a prerequisite for anything. Interesting, because my next question is, how important is it to have a graduate degree 
in order to succeed in your field. So less so for the entry-level position, more so for someone like you who's made it into the executive C-suite. I know that you got your MBA in finance and investments from Harvard. I graduated in 1984. And back then, yeah, I mean, having a Harvard MBA or any kind of high level MBA was in essence a differentiator. It was something that businesses and consulting firms, investment banks, et cetera, were were definitely hiring those types of people pretty much exclusively. But the world's changed so much since then. I mean, I think that even firms like uh, Goldman Sachs and McKinsey and places like that, that were pretty much very degree and where did you get your degree from oriented now have realized that, that they're better off having a diversity of skills and backgrounds and talents on their teams. So what they really look for is just sort of native intelligence and the ability to interact and think through problems and all of that. So I think they're, it's less important than it used to be. Obviously, getting a master's degree in data science or applied math or something like that, you do learn a lot of the technical skills that are necessary to do the job. So they're, they're obviously a benefit. There's a benefit to that. The PhDs, like I said, I sometimes I even look at it as not necessarily a negative, but getting a PhD is an ordeal as many people know, is it's you have to focus on a specific problem and solve it or improve the solutions that have existed before to get your dissertation approved by your committee and all of that. It's a very laborious process. And many, many people now are sort of uh, foregoing that and because they, they thought the credential was going to get them someplace even outside of academia. But now it's more people are focusing on practical experience and technical ability and things like Kaggle, you know, have been a great sort of gamification of problem solving where as a data scientist, you can go out and participate in a Kaggle competition and demonstrate to the world how good a data scientist you are, much more so than getting a PhD in a very specific topic is demonstrating how smart you are. So I think it's not a prerequisite for me anymore. And master's degree, obviously, in a very technical field is a great training ground. But again, it's the once you get out of school, I mean, do you press people with your ability to, to jump into the real world? Or are you still sort of of a technical mindset. That's where I think employers look to differentiate who they hire, looking more for the people that'll be able to fit into their organizations better. Got it. By the way, I had never heard of Kaggle. (laughs) And I don't know if all of our listeners are familiar with it. What is it? Well, Kaggle started, oh, geez, about 10 or so years ago, maybe a little bit more. Netflix was famous back in the day for having a competition where they put out on the internet a problem to solve how to improve their, I think it was their ranking or the recommendation engine or something, or something like that. And they invited data scientists from around the world to try and develop the best solution to this data science problem and got a lot of publicity. The people that scored the highest of tens of thousands of participants, you know, got to job interviews and got a lot of notoriety. So Kaggle is a company that actually formed around that concept and they stage data science competition all the time and you sign up and you or a team of developers and state of scientists or, or whoever, I mean, could even be high school students participate in the, trying to have the best solution as measured by some quantitative metrics to the problem that's posed and people get ranked. I mean, your score from competition to competition gets aggregated. And if you go out on Kaggle, you can identify the top 50 Kaggle competitors. Yeah, there's a lot of notoriety. It's like kind of like how video gaming has become a, an arena sport <laughs> to some extent. Now you've got data scientists out there competing on Kaggle to become the highest ranked data scientist. It's really, really fascinating. I love it. So, Tom, what is the best part for you of being in this profession, of being in data and analytics in the insurance industry? 
Well, I think it's very forward looking. My career has been revolved around innovation for the most part. And data and analytics is really an area, especially in the insurance industry and financial services industry, where there's immense amount of innovation going on. That's where a lot of the competition for competitive advantages these days. Companies like Allstate and State Farm and Geico have spent money building their brands and in the eyes of consumers. I mean, those investments have paid off because they're top of mind when it comes to, say, car or home insurance. So they keep investing in trying to innovate in that space. But it's really just a matter of keeping up now, but it's so all of the, where the real competitive advantages are being created are on the quantitative side where pricing policies more accurately than your competition, handling claims more efficiently than your competition. All of those elements that where data science is really having an impact in the insurance industry is where it's kind of behind the scenes a little bit because it's not you see mayhem commercials all the time for Allstate and have fun watching him. But behind the scenes, really where the money is really being created, and the value is being created is in, in these areas that are driven by, uh, by data science, actuarial science and, and analytics being applied to real problems. Great. What about the flip side? Because even a C-suite executive like you must have parts or a part of your current job that isn't so much fun. So what is that current job that sucks the most? I like the way you phrased the question. It's Artificial intelligence has become a, a grand concept. I mean, I think it's used, it's a phrase that's used, over overly used these days, and, and not many people really truly understand what's behind it, what it can do, what it can't do. A lot of companies that sell artificial intelligence technology like IBM have gone out of their way to, to mystify AI, you know, IBM's Watson has become this, at first it was a fuzzy voice, a friendly fuzzy voice. Now it's this grand technology that solves all the world's problems to some extent. So my challenge is really trying to work with leaders and, and board members and people that are are supporting our agenda around investing in AI and things, but managing their expectations, really. It's not a magic wand that you can just wave over problems and solve them. It requires a lot of hard work behind the scenes, just getting the data in order to be able to perform artificial intelligence and use these complex algorithms. And it takes time and a lot of not terribly sexy investments and work to get to the, the grand answer, which is, oh my gosh, we've got machine learning behind this and that and the other thing, which is where we're Headed, but at the same time, it takes longer to get there, I think, than most people give it credit for. So really managing those expectations, especially because they're coming from very senior people, is, is probably the biggest challenge I face. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. As you put it, it is not a magic wand. You've got, I'm sure, hundreds, if not thousands of, of man hours that go into solving some of these really gnarly questions in terms of how to keep ahead of the competition, how to continue to improve your product offerings and your processing of claims. And we're going to be getting more into that, by the way, when we do our main time for coffee interview in a few minutes, because boy, I am guessing that's pretty much what your team does all the time. Pretty much. Okay. So Tom, what is the best career advice you've ever gotten? 
It wasn't given to me directly, but our former CEO at Allstate, when he was retiring, shared this with an audience of people. And it was, you know, don't worry about your next job. He said, if you perform your current one exceptionally, new opportunities will always follow. And he related that to his career as starting as a claim adjuster in San Jose to becoming the CEO of a very large national insurance company. And I took that to heart. I mean, it's always tried to think of that myself. I mean, it's hard not to think about the next job and, oh, gee, am I doing, am I being paid enough here? Am I appreciated enough here, et cetera? And, and everyone thinks about those things, but can't be terribly concerned about it. I think you just have to do the best you can in your current job and people will appreciate that, appreciate you and good things will happen as a consequence. Yeah. Your reputation will grow. Exactly. And word travels. <laughs> when you're you know, a I, rock star, word travels. I tell that to my daughter. She's 30 and she's, you know, at the point in her career where she's thinking, well, am I, am I, should I stay here? Should I go do something else? What skills should I go acquire, et cetera? And I don't keep your head down so you have blinders on, but at the same time, you know, just focus on what you're doing and doing the best you can. And that's, that's the primary thing to do. Absolutely. So two final espresso shots. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, or books do you think accurately depict your profession, Tom? Yeah, I think probably Moneyball, Michael Lewis's book about the Oakland A's and the movie that was made about it. Even there, they probably glossed over a few things, especially in the movie, which movies always have to do because they are trying to make a story compelling. But, you know, I thought about other examples and I really, you know, I thought about many more that over aggrandize uh, artificial intelligence and make it out to be the the magic wand, the super brain that's in the computer, the thing that's going to take over our lives, all these things. You know, Hollywood gets a lot more ticket sales out of stories like that than they do accurately depicting, you know, what data science does. So beyond Moneyball, I had a hard time finding any examples of mostly on the, the other side where it's not terribly well depicted. <laughs> Okay, terrific. We'll make sure to include a link to that in our show notes. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession? I think first would be that there is so much time spent wrangling data. That's kind of the phrase we use for it these days. Data is not perfect in any business system. And so a lot of times the the folks that are trying to draw insights from it have to spend a lot of time manipulating it, cleaning it, uh, aggregating data across different sources, et cetera, et cetera. The catchphrase typically is 80% of a data science project is spent wrangling the data just to get ready to build the model. So I think that's a part of the job that's more surprising uh, to people than when they first walk into it maybe they thought initially. So in other words, it isn't cut and dry. <laughs> right. And I, I guess the other thing I'd say too is, is, is how little of what gets developed by the data scientists or the analytics teams actually gets put into use. And this is something I've focused on in some talks I've given is that really the data science is the whiz bang stuff. But if you can't get your model applied to a business problem and have the people who are the intended users of it using the model and trusting the model and acting on its recommendations, then it's all for naught. So and that's really where the I think the rubber meets the road is the application of this intelligence to changing business behaviors. That's really the hard the hardest part of the job. Well, again, we are going to be digging into Tom's job and the field of data science in our main Time for Coffee interview. Check out the show notes for this episode to see if that has already dropped. Tom, thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. Your field is 
so fascinating. And obviously, it's a field that is growing rapidly. And I think of tremendous interest in just about every industry out there, not just insurance. Clearly, I really appreciate you making the time to talk with us about it. Well, thanks, Andrea. Really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.